It's that time again. XJ Talk Show is on the air. Uh, okay, well, it's a podcast. Uh, but you know what I mean. <sighs> anyway, here's Tony. Well, thank you very much. Uh, and also, to thank you <laughs> thank you to Tom. Uh, Tom recorded me some uh, uh, little uh, drops, uh, voice drops, and uh, I finally got around to getting it edited and put into the show. Uh, it's uh, it's those are really good, Tom. Thank you. So uh, anyway, uh, today's show is going to be great because nobody ever says today's show is going to suck. You might as well stop listening now. <laughs> but truth in advertising, I don't think it sucks. I think it is a good show. Uh, I think the interviews are always very good, and I think the Jeep tip sections are always very good and informative. Uh, so uh, you know, stick around and and actually. What we're going to have today is uh, we're going to start off with uh, with a, a question that somebody called in to our voicemail. It's been a long time since we've had a question called in like that, and it's 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 great. It's it was a, a nice surprise for me, uh, and I want to encourage all you guys to call in your questions and, and and have them on the show, or hell, just call in and and uh, tell us how you like the show. Uh, you know, you don't have to be in, a, in an interview situation if that makes you nervous. Just uh, call in and uh, give us a little promo what you think about XJ Talk. And actually, if you don't like the show, I'd like to hear that too. Frankly, I think it'd be funny as hell to play. <laughs> so if you want to make something up, that's cool too, but uh, it'll probably break my heart. <laughs> so we're going to have that. We're going to have uh, our Jeep, tip, Jeep Tips segment with Josh, NW99XJ, or it's XJ99. Anyway, Josh will correct me. And following that, we'll have our interview, first-time interview, with uh, Dan. And he has his own podcast called uh, The 4x4 Podcast. We were able to get him on, a uh, little connection we made through uh, Facebook, and uh, he was more than happy to do it. I think that's that's wonderful of him to do. Uh, it's kind of like what we do with the, uh, the other Jeep websites. We're not afraid of them. We like to promote them because... That's uh, the whole idea behind XJTalk.com is to help uh, our fellow Jeep Cherokee owners get uh, the help they need and, um, you know, get things fixed, get things fixed cheaply, get them fixed right. So we're always happy to uh, talk about uh, uh, NAXJA.org or Cherokee Forum, uh, Jeep Forum. There's there's so many out there. And I think that's one of the reasons why I'm so flattered that there's uh, over 2,000 XJTalk.com members now. Uh, we've been going a little over three and a half years, and uh, you guys have been great showing your support. We have a, a good, solid uh, core of people uh, that are on the site uh, at least once a week, uh, most of them every day. And uh, we have uh, uh, several very knowledgeable technical people uh, that uh, check in daily and uh, are very um, good about answering questions. I'll get on there and I'll try to answer the questions. Uh, most of the time, I think I get it right. Uh, a lot of that is from me going uh, into Google and looking things up and reading two or three stories and seeing what makes the most sense to me. Uh, and then reporting that back. I always try to report it back uh, when I'm, I'm answering a question that this is what I read, and I don't want to uh, give anybody the illusion that I know for sure because of my experience. Now, when I have experienced it, I will say this was my experience. 
So hopefully truth in advertising, uh, as far as the answer you get from me, I, th- I think I've helped some people, but I know that we do have some very technical members that uh, are very sharp and uh, are able to help. And uh, also, too, uh, xjtalk.com is, uh, is entertaining. Uh, we, uh, we enjoy getting on there. And uh, if, you're, if you're a guest, then you probably have not seen our chat window, which is at the uh, top of the forum. Uh, it's, it's close to the top. It's a small window. And uh, sometimes there's a lot of activity going on in the chat. And that, and that is chat, as in real-time chat, amongst xjtalk.com members. But you do need to be a member to see that. And it's, it's really for the kids' protection that even though we're a family-friendly site, it is an 18 or older site because, you know, come on, we're all adults and uh, we should be able to, to discuss, thing, discuss things as adults. And, uh, we, you know, we try to keep it, like I said, family-friendly. But uh, because the kids can still see it, but uh, we try to do our best to to minimize that exposure as much as possible. So if you're not a member, you should join, if nothing else, so you can see everything that's on the site. Uh, The chat uh, will be available. And uh, also, too, uh, you'll get rid of some of the ads. (laughs) Yeah, you'll get rid of some of the ads if you uh, become a member. And I think you need to get up to 100 posts to get rid of uh, at least half of the ads, maybe more. So a couple of incentives there, not only to join, but to post. And, of course, that's the lifeblood of a forum are the posts because unless people are talking about what's going on with their lives, their Jeeps, what they found interesting today, posting pictures, then it, it, it's not that an interesting of a site. And that's one of the reasons why we try to make sure that uh, we bring everybody in with uh, arms outstretched and welcome and not criticize you and not tell you what you should, shouldn't, shouldn't do. Um, we try to have a good attitude on the site. And I think we, uh, we've been, uh, I think we've been doing that. Uh, I think that the, uh, uh, there's a couple of, uh, people that, uh, have had some issues, but mainly it is, uh, overwhelmingly, uh, it's a great site. It's very friendly. And, uh, well, actually I think Steve said it best. I just wanted to tell you about xjtalk.com. It's a great site. There's no bashing. Everybody's nice and friendly. Great place to be. Yep, and that's the way we, we are going to make sure it stays, and, and we do so with a very light touch. Um, nothing public. If you get out of line, <laughs> we just send you a, send you a PM and uh, let you know where you went off the rails. And it's, you know, nothing personal. It's just how we want to make sure that, that the site is available for everybody to feel comfortable in asking questions and expressing themselves uh, within, the, uh, within the confines of uh, not upsetting the other people. Yeah, it's about as close to hippified as you can get, but um, I thought it was really important that uh, there be a alternative to the other Jeep sites uh, where people would feel comfortable expressing themselves. So anyway, uh, I think we should get on with the show and, um, you know, I can stop talking at least in this segment and I'll be talking a lot more in the other segments. No, you really can't get away from me, but that might be changing soon. We may be having some, uh, well, we may be having a co-host show up really soon. So stay tuned for that. Hi, uh, this is, uh, Bob from Moab, Utah. I just bought on XJ last week, and I was wondering, what do you guys think about reinforcing the unibody? I've read some posts that say that's a good idea, and I've 
heard other people say it's not necessary with mine. Mine's a 2001. I was just wondering what your members thought. Like I said, I joined uh, XPA Talk last week. Okay, thank you. Bye. Hi, this is Steve from 4.3 Liter XJ from xjtalk.com. That's kind of a subjective question, really. Um, it's not necessary under normal use, and unless a person is really uh, flexing the suspension all the way out and, and getting opposite corners uh, uh, bottomed out in the, in the suspension, it's really not necessary. But it's not a bad idea. Uh, I personally am going to stiffen my own frame, but I do a lot of rock crawling and, and I do get into a lot of extreme angles and so forth with my own. But I haven't had a problem so far. I've never had any cracks. I've never been able to not open the door when I needed to or anything like that. So it's it's not something that you have to do, but it's something that's maybe not a bad idea if you want to look at it from a preventative standpoint. And there are several options available that uh, uh, Tony can address with that. Hi, this is Josh, Northwest 99XJ on the forum. Uh, Bob, especially in Moab, Utah, if you're going to be doing any sort of off-roading and whatnot, the, the unibody is definitely going to be beneficial um, by being reinforced. You're going to see a lot of improvements in on-road handling as well as performance off-road. Uh, the Jeep Cherokee unibody, especially the two-doors, I don't know if you have a two-door or four-door, but the two doors are even more unstable. The, the unibody not having a true dedicated frame likes to twist and flex as you go off-road with the suspension pushing back up on the body and as you go on, on uneven terrain, especially a lot of that slick rock there in Moab, Utah, um, the XJ can get quite twisted up. And you might not notice it until you would maybe put a tire up on a big rock, try and get out and open up the rear hatch to get some recovery gear or something, and lo and behold, you're stuck. The rear hatch won't open. You can't get into the rig. The doors might not uh, seat properly. You might notice they kind of give an extra clunk when you close them and stuff like that. That's the unibody flexing. There's a lot of aftermarket companies out there that are making really good products with the unibody stiffening. Um, and, you know, TNT Customs is one that comes to mind. I'm just shooting from the hip here off the top of my head. Um, and there's several other companies out there that make full front-to-back unibody stiffening uh, kits. Now, most of them are weld-in. So you're going to have to, you know, have some experience with welding, a little bit of fabrication to get those involved. And there's things like um, your suspension upgrades that you're going to have to take into consideration either during or after um, unibody uh, stiffening uh, when, you're, when you're thinking about lift kits and things like that. A lot of long arm kits use a cross member where they may or may not have allowances for unibody stiffening. And because usually a unibody stiffening kit is going to be 3 sixteenths or eighth inch plate that is sandwiched on the unibody frame rails. And I'm going to use that term loosely. Uh, all it is is really double, triple thickness, uh, 16 gauge sheet metal that is formed to, uh, to a channel that runs on either side of the Jeep to create a, a pseudo frame. Um, and these plates get welded up to that from front to rear. Um, and there's, there's varying kits that will give you, you know, increasing uh, stiffness. And things like, um, uh, you know, a rear trailer hitch can even improve your, you know, stiffness a little bit. I know when I did my Class 3 hitch in the back of my 99 Cherokee, I, I noticed it right away. Uh, not having a hitch back there before, I could feel 
the road manners change a little bit, having that that lateral brace from one you know side of the frame to the other with that trailer hitch back there. So things like um, you know uh, cross members in the front, cross members in the rear um, uh, can help with uh, with stiffness as well as frame rail stiffness. Um, things like the TNT Customs uh, frame stiffeners will help a lot. So, Bob, to get back uh, to your question, I do think it's a good idea. Um, I do think the benefits way outweigh the uh, the cons, which I can't personally think of any cons uh, to you know, stiffening up the unibody other than the time and cost involved and the possibility of you might might not be able to get the you know the suspension upgrades that you want if you're looking at a long arm kit. So I would, I would highly recommend it. I would look into it. I would do some research, um, you know, explore uh, some of the kits that are out there, look at what they have to offer, how they're made, and what it's going to take to put those in, and maybe even talk to some of your local four-wheel drive shops or fabricators or welders and see what kind of um, cost is going to be incurred in trying to install something like that. Uh, now, if, if you can weld yourself, then uh, go berserk, man, and have fun with it. This segment brought to you by DetoursUSA.com. 10 years of innovating, not imitating XJ products. Check out www.detoursusa.com. And Detours wants to remind everyone to practice safe sex. No pig borking till you wrap that rascal. Son of a bitch. Jeep tips. And we have Josh, uh, Northwest 99XJ, or NW99XJ, as you've probably seen on XJTalk.com. And uh, Josh has a Jeep tip for us this week. Josh, what do you got? Well, as uh, many of us know, when you start to lift up your Jeep, you got to deal with those uh, dreaded driveline vibrations. And, you know, you can do a uh, transfer case drop, but as most of us know, the best way to go about it is a slip yoke eliminator. Uh, and for those of you a little unfamiliar with it, I'll be real quick and say a slip yoke eliminator, what that does is it removes the slip yoke from the transfer case output and moves it to the drive line. Uh, you know, if some people have the horror stories of overflexing their suspension and the drive line coming right out of the transfer case, the slip yoke eliminator eliminates the slip yoke in the transfer case. And there's two, there's two methods to do this. Um, there's the, the, the hack and tap method, which I personally uh, have used because I have the NP242 transfer case where there is a, there's very limited options um, for the slip yoke eliminator. Um, and the more common NP231 or the NV231, uh, which is primarily the, the most found transfer case in Jeeps. Um, and how the, uh, the slip yoke eliminator kit, kit works is it's a new output shaft. Um, you basically split the case, the transfer case, and you will be putting in a different output shaft. A lot of people think, oh man, there's a lot of gears in there and, and you know, that could be real scary work. Actually, it's not. I thought the same thing delving into mine um, and uh, I actually had to replace my output shaft. That's a whole other story. We'll get into that another day. Oh my but, God, you didn't bend it, did you? No, I didn't bend it. Um, there, there's a. Oh, the, this is the this is the, the one where you broke the the the, uh, the tap off in it. Yes, sir, and that was quite the ordeal. Okay, but, I, I won't I won't tell. <laughs> I won't ask any more about that. That's painful enough <laughs> just to remember. I saw the oh, picture. Tell me about it. Tell me about it. <laughs> yeah, and I, and I also say it was very easy when I did my uh, SYE on my NP two forty two. It was a lot easier than I thought it was going to be. 
Yeah, and I, I was the same way. Um, once I actually got the transfer case out and got it split apart and, and started pulling things apart, I was surprised at, at really how easy things came. You know, as long as you keep track of, of the clips and the order of which you pulled things out and stuff, yes, it's, yes. it's really not that hard. But here's the trick is, is um, on the newer transfer cases, this is going to be on the newer models, uh, 96 and up, the, um, there is a seal that goes around the output shaft in the, the cone on the back of the transfer case. And it's kind of like an axle shaft seal. And it is very, very finicky. And it can be nicked or damaged really easy when you're trying to get that cone back onto the back end of that transfer case around the new output shaft. Um, it can get damaged kind of easily. Yeah, and it's got it a little, it's, I'm sorry, it's got a little spring in there. That, it does have a little spring. And, 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 that, and you nick that, and that spring comes out, and then so does the fluid. Yeah, you can roll that lip. You can you can bend that spring really easy. And that spring is small. We're, you know, less than what you'd find in a little clicky pen or something like yes, that. Yeah. So you got to be real careful. A lot of people have had success with, oh, I just, you know, goop it up with grease really well and, and slide that cone on it and be good. And you may have had success with that um, or not. What I have found um, is a really good trick to do is, yeah, the grease works. You want to have that handy because you're going to use it. But a little bit of electrical tape around the splined end. And you want to make sure that you start from the inside of the shaft, working your way to the outside, wrapping some electrical tape around those splines all the way out to the tip. And that's the most important part is the tip. Even though the, most of those output shafts have a little bit of a bevel to them on the end of the splined output shaft, um, those splines are still pretty sharp. The edges are sharp. And they can go ahead and, and just the slightest little nick on that seal will end up spraying transfer case fluid all over your undercarriage. So the electrical tape will actually help protect that output shaft seal from getting nicked. And the, the grease, of course, once you wrap it up, you're going to slather it with grease. But you leave yourself a little tab, um, you know, all the way out to the end of the shaft. And we're only talking, you know, maybe two or three inches worth of electrical tape, uh, you know, wrapped around two or three inches of, of, uh, of shaft, I should say. Um, but the electrical tape will go all the way to the end. You leave yourself a little bit that you can grab onto at the end. And it's important to go from the inside to the outside because once you grab, once you're all reassembled and you know, you've got your electrical tape on, you've slathered everything down with grease, you've got your output shaft cone, um, you know, your, your rear seal put back on and everything. Um, you go ahead and you start to remove that, that tape and it will just pull right off, especially being all greased. And that seal will be protected and it will collapse right down onto the output shaft in absolute perfect shape. Oh, that's a great idea. I, I went through probably three of them and I think um, I, I had uh, transfer case problems because I was always running low on fluid because of that, uh, that issue. Yeah, I, uh, I, after I did my first one, I thought I had it right. I, you know, I thought, you know, I, I put so much grease on there. There's no way this thing would have been damaged. And uh, honestly, after I had taken it back out, um, it, it was hard to see where there was any damage, but I was driving home uh, one day, and it was I just you know I'd done the repair the 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 slip yoke eliminator the night before, went to work the next day, driving home, and I'm noticing this giant mist of smoke and spray behind me as I'm driving down the freeway. What the heck is that? And I, I get home thinking you know the worst that I you know I've blown a, a you know a you know something in the engine or something like that, and I climb underneath, and the entire undercarriage. Just absolutely coated in transmission, or you know, in the transfer case fluid. Yeah, and it's from the transfer case back, which yep. is which is a good sign for the motor, 
and the transmission, but a bad sign for the transfer case. <laughs> yeah. I mean, luckily, uh, you know, I didn't lose all that much. Um, you know, I didn't, I didn't run it dry or anything like that. So um, I was able to um, to get home, and and there was still you know plenty of fluid left in there. You'd be surprised at how how much a little bit of fluid will coat how much undercarriage, and and of course spraying all over the you know, the hot muffler and exhaust and stuff, it, it creates quite a bit of smoke too. Right. And everybody needs to understand that it doesn't matter if you're in four wheel drive or not. If you're in a 240, uh, running a 242, of course you can be running down the road and uh, full-time four wheel drive uh, and certainly uh, uh, part-time for the 231 or the 242. But uh, what you may not understand is those parts in the transfer case are always turning. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter if you're in two-wheel drive or four-wheel drive. So you need that fluid in there. So don't think, oh, yeah, I'm leaking fluid. I'll worry about this later. I'll worry about uh, getting uh, checking it, filling it up, blah, blah, blah. No, it's it affects you if the Jeep is moving. And you don't have to have a lift kit to you know have uh, you know transfer case issues or have to worry about replacing that output shaft seal. Some of you guys run in stock vehicles that may have higher miles. You know, those output seals can wear out over time, especially, you know, uh, in, in some of the saltier climates, uh, people living by the coast or where they salt the roads, those seals might wear out a little bit faster. And, you know, you might find that uh, it, it'd be time to replace that seal. It is something you can do yourself. Um, it, it, it's a little bit more involved than changing your oil, but, you know, if, you, uh, if you're used to wrenching on a vehicle, especially a Jeep, um, it's really not all that entailed. Now, you mentioned uh, driveline vibrations. Why would a SYE kit uh, have anything to do with improving driveline vibrations? Well, as uh, some of you may know, um, the stock driveline, um, it's, 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 not, it's not set up for high angles. Um, and so when you start lifting the vehicle up, you're increasing the driveline angle in relation to the pinion at the rear axle. And of course, where that drive line meets the output shaft of the of the transfer case, um, going to a slip yoke eliminator, you then upgrade your drive shaft to a double carden or CV joint drive shaft. And what that enables you to do is run a steeper drive line angle. As the you know the more lift you go, the higher you get up away from that rear axle. And remember that that transfer case is right up there next to the body. And the more lift you have, the further away that body gets from that rear axle. And um, a lot of guys can get away with it by throwing a couple, you know, degree shims in, in that rear axle underneath the leafs and helping point that rear pinion back up towards the transfer case, which I recommend doing in any case um, because, uh, you know, that just takes that much less, that much more stress off of those U-joints uh, down by the, uh, by the axle. But um, when you start lifting the vehicle with that stock, uh, stock drive shaft, um, especially in the older models, a lot of guys, you know, it looks like a stick in a coffee can. Um, it's not set up for those steep angles of a lifted Jeep. And and those vibrations can occur because basically what's happening is that those U-joints, those joints inside of those um, inside of those yokes are basically bottoming out. And and it's it's so stressed out, it's basically, you know, hyper-flexing or hyper-extending those, jo- those joints. And so every time that that driveline goes around in a rotation, you're bottoming out on one of those U-joints and inside inside that yoke. And those are where the vibrations are coming from. And also, too, that would uh, I guess that would uh, mean that the U-joints will wear out quicker. Absolutely. So I don't understand if you if you change, you put the slip yoke on the, the, the rear of the, the transfer case, there's a drive shaft in front. Don't you have to uh, modify that one as well? 
No, you don't, because the output shaft of the um, NV or the N, uh, MP transfer cases, that's new venture or new process, that's what most of the transfer cases we have um, in our Jeeps, um, primarily the NP231 or the 242. Uh, the 249s, I believe, were found in the Grand Cherokees. Um, those were the you know all-wheel drive all the time. But all these uh, transfer cases have a fixed yoke output um, for the front, and so you have um, the, the double carton style uh, drive shaft for the front of the vehicle. And oftentimes what guys will do, um, even in my case, uh, you go to a junkyard, you search around, you find a front drive shaft because it's set up for what you're going to be doing in the rear. Um, and a lot of guys will be running a front drive shaft out of a Cherokee for their rear drive line after they do a slip yoke eliminator. Which I guess means that you now have a spare drive shaft. So, Indeed. if you end up breaking a U joint or you know worse, twisting up a drive shaft or bending it up on the trail, um, you know you're looking at not being able to get home. Um, and so, you would be able to just unbolt your front drive shaft, put it in the rear, and limp your way home. And well, it wouldn't be limping. You'd be able to get down off the trail and drive around in, in regular two wheel drive. Oh, that's great. It's it's nice having spares on the on the Jeep like that. And I guess Absolutely. technically you could uh, you could drive home in uh, four wheel drive. It would be a front wheel drive, which is yep. uh, the popular thing that uh, all the manufacturers seem to be making now. Anyway, so <laughs> <laughs> I, I hate front wheel drives, but uh, well, that's that's really cool. So uh, have you have you seen any downsides to uh, the the hack and tap method? I know I'm not a big fan of the hack and tap. Um, there, once you get into you know bigger lifts and especially bigger tires. Um, you get into those gear ratios, you know, um, you know, like 488s and 518s, I think would be the next step up from that. Um, you know, you're, there's a lot of torque that's applied on things in there. When you're getting up into maybe 35s and above, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're flirting a little bit with, with danger on that. But I have heard of guys that have been running the hack and tap successfully, doing extreme uh, four-wheeling with this with a hack and tap running 33s running 35s and and for years being just fine um you know it's it's going to really come down to i think um your your driving style how hard you are off road uh i think the the biggest thing to stay away from with a hack and tap would be a high angle bounce where your front end is way up in the air and you're climbing over a very steep obstacle. You're running very deep gears. You've got big tires. We're talking 35s or larger. And you're trying to climb this face of an obstacle. And your Jeep is doing that bouncing up and down. And you're you're really you know trying to you're going to be wrapping up that that rear axle against the suspension and of course the drive line. And what's you know connected at the end of the drive line? Well, your slip yoke eliminator to the transfer case. I'm not saying it's a weak point. You know, oftentimes a U-joint um, strap is going to pop before your, your hack and tap would, um, because especially it's, it's secured with grade 8 hardware um, more times than not. At least it should be. Uh, but it, it, it could theoretically be a weak point. I, I do know there are guys out there running them, and they're running them hard, and they last. But um, ultimately, the, the best solution would be a short shaft, replacing that output shaft with a fixed yoke style for the slip yoke eliminator coming out of the rear output of a transfer case. Yeah, and, and that's what I went with, which was uh, uh, the Tom Woods uh, solution for my MP242. And it, it's it's absolutely wonderful, but it required a uh, custom drive shaft and uh, the uh, the short, it re- you have to replace the, the tail cone and you replace the shaft 
and uh, it's very nice, but uh, it's it's very expensive. I think it was four seventy five after I sent back all the uh, the other parts, the cores. Yeah, because they do require a core on that on that particular kit, don't they? Yes. Well, it's interesting because I spoke with uh, one of the people there at Tom Woods, and uh, he said that you would you would be really surprised how many people do not send the cores. So hmm. they they literally are sitting on four hundred dollars worth of. Uh, of refund so yeah because you'll be out of pocket you know about 800 some odd dollars initially but you get a big chunk of that back sending in the core yeah it's it's a hard it's a hard purchase to make unless you have lots of uh, credit on your credit card because mm. uh, it's it's it was like 900 dollars up front and um but uh, like i said you get about 400 back now that's the the mp242 is a little more expensive than than their 231 uh solution Yes, but uh, yeah, I was just going to say too. You know, a lot of people get away with a lot of things that are are are, are uh, what is common. Do not do uh, in the Jeep Knowledge uh, database, like run a Dana thirty five, which I know yeah. Steve four point three LXJ runs a a Dana thirty five, and he just went off road last weekend, and he's fine. Uh, it all has to do with skinny pebble <laughs> pebble yeah, skinny really pedal, folks. <laughs> You know, being smart about things and uh, choosing your trail and, uh, you know, driving skill is what it amounts to. But uh, uh, I'm just glad I have a, a, a an eight and a quarter on the back of mine. And I don't, uh, to me, it's one less worry. Less skill I have to have. Yeah. So uh, anyway, it sounds like an SYE is a, is a good idea. And uh, I was asking that question about the front because I know some people would uh, that, that aren't knowledgeable in the area would say, okay, well, that's fine. I got the front taken care of. What do I do? I mean, I've got the rear, the rear end taken care of. What do I do about the front? I personally don't fully understand why they went to the time and expense of doing a, uh, the, the slip yoke being inside the drive shaft on the front, and they didn't do the same thing in the damn back. <laughs> yeah, it makes no sense at all. I mean, you're already doing it on the front. The technology's there. It's you know obviously proven. Uh, you know why not do it in the rear? Uh, and I, I just don't. I don't understand. You know, it, it had to have been fifty nine cent savings on on the line yeah, or something. That's what it was. Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure if we got right down to the 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 meat of the matter, that it would make plenty of sense as the reason why they did it. Uh, but to to somebody that is lifting the jeep and taking it off road, it would be just been so nice if they have just had done the the back drive shaft just like they did the front. And and one other thing that you didn't mention is the really nice thing is is that if you do break something in the rear, the drive shaft, uh, anything that that dis- disables the drive line from the the transfer case back to the uh, axle, you can take that drive shaft out, and you don't have to worry about leaking fluid because that's right. You know, you got that yoke on there, just like you have on the front of your transfer case, and it will be perfectly fine. It'll just spin its spin while you're driving along, and it's not going to be spraying out uh, transfer case fluid. So it's yeah, a wonderful thing. Yeah, because it, the stock setup it does. I mean, the 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 stock setup makes it so that the 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 output shaft is is essentially hollow, uh, going right into the transfer case, and your drive line slides in and out of that. And you lose that drive line stock. Uh, with you know no slip yoke eliminator, you're on the trail. You're going to be leaking fluid all day long, mm-hmm. and that's not only bad for the engine, but it's also or bad for the transfer case. Rather, it's also bad for the environment. Uh, you know, you don't need to be spilling fluids out on the trails. Yeah. So with the slip yoke eliminator, it seals that transfer case up, button tight. And you, worst case scenario, you do break a drive shaft 
um, you're not going to be stranded and you're not going to be leaking fluids. Right. And in, even if you're not a big environmentalist, uh, I'm not big on the environment, <laughs> but I am big on them closing trails. <laughs> yes. Yes. So keep that in mind that even if you don't think, oh, what do I care? Well, if they, if they close the trail and you can't go out there and play, then, then maybe you would. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not a, what you'd call a, a huge environmentalist either, but um, I like having the trails open. And, the, you know, the more that we can do as a, as a community, as Jeep owners, to keep those trails open, the better. And if that means uh, making sure we're not spilling fluids on the trail, then so be it. Yeah, I have no problem with people with tree huggers. But uh, I remember I took a poop in the woods one time and li- had to lean against the tree, and I had a rash for a good three weeks. So I don't, oh. know, how they, I don't know how they do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, Josh, thanks a lot for uh, this week's Jeep tip. Absolutely. Thanks, Tony. And now for a disclaimer. Jeep tips is for entertainment purposes only. If you choose to follow these tips, man up and take the responsibility for your own actions. If you cannot or you feel that working on your Jeep is beyond your abilities, seek the help or advice of a trained certified mechanic. Hi, tonight we have Dan, Jeep in Idaho from XJTalk.com and uh, host of the 4x4 podcast. Hey, Dan, thanks for uh, joining us tonight and doing this interview. Hey, my pleasure. Any chance I get to uh, sit down with somebody and talk about Jeeps, is, uh, it's a pleasure. Now, interesting, interestingly, I found out today that uh, Dan is uh, in the Army and he's out in the Mojave Desert right now talking on his cell phone through Skype. So if it sounds a little funky, it actually sounds a lot better than it would be if it was a cell call. And uh, uh, Dan's going the extra mile to do this interview with us, so I'm, I'm uh, very happy that uh, he's able to do that. Uh, first off, Dan, is it hot out there? You know, it's actually it's been a very nice day. Today I think it may have just barely broke 90 degrees. Um, usually, like two days ago, I was getting a, a nice hot wind. Uh, <laughs> I, call, I call that the blow dryer. <laughs> yeah, it's like sticking your, he- your head in front of a, a blow dryer. That's really all it is. You can't even cool off. Yeah. But now I think it's cooled off to about 80 degrees, 82. Feels nice. Well, you know, it's, it's the differences that you notice. So <laughs> if it's like yes. three inches from the surface of the sun and now it's 80, then, you know, you're thankful for what you can get. Yeah, a week and a half ago is like 115 out here. So this is a, a welcome change. So Dan, I recently became aware of uh, of your podcast. I was uh, uh, looking around through. I think I was. Uh, I think I actually saw it on on Beyond uh, Beyond Pod uh, little application. And I was doing searches for things, and I went, "Wow, okay. look at look at this! It's a uh, a four by four podcast." And I added it and uh, uh, started listening. And then uh, I can't remember. I think I saw you on Facebook, and uh, you were amenable to doing a. Uh, an interview. We want to do a little uh, cross uh, podcast pollination, so to speak. And I yeah. uh, thought that was great. Uh, it was wonderful to run across somebody that was uh, doing basically the same thing I was doing. Although your show is more of a, a wide range, uh, and as by the name, 4x4, which covers a lot of ground, whereas we uh, kind of focus on just the, uh, the Jeep Cherokee here. 
So uh, how did you get started with that? Well, uh, I've been, I, at the time I was living in South Korea, uh, my army duties had taken me over there and I was there for three years. And after about two years, I got tired of being disconnected from my Jeep and from the off-roading community. So I decided, you know what? I've been thinking about starting a podcast. I listened to a ton of them and I know that uh, once I get back to the United States, I'd appreciate being able to listen to an off-roading and adventure travel type podcast uh, as I'm driving across the country for whatever it is that I'm doing. And uh, I figure I'm probably not the only one. So I went ahead and put together uh, the 4x4 podcast and got my brother on to co-host it. And since then, it's been just a, a great adventure, meeting all kinds of great people, uh, met a lot of great people in the industry and a lot of great manufacturers sharing their, their products. And it's just been a, a great time. We just just crossed the one-year anniversary, so it's been a lot of fun. That's great. And uh, you mentioned adventure a couple of times there. And, and gee whiz, if I was in South Korea, <laughs> it certainly <laughs> would go under the heading of, uh, of adventure to me. Now, uh, you, you said you're away from the 4 by 4 and whatnot. Isn't there uh, like a, an H1 or something you can take out across uh, uh, North Korea? I mean, being very careful not to, to wander into <laughs> uh, I'm in South Korea. I uh, didn't want to wander into North Korea, but uh, surely there's something you can do out there in South Korea, isn't there? Oh, yes. Uh, now, not with my vehicle, but you're right. At the time, I was uh, in command, so I had access to a lot of military vehicles. And if you actually go to the 4x4podcast.com, uh, under the one of the menus is my little profile and tells a little bit about me. And there's some videos of doing some off-road driver training and mounted land navigation type things. And you know, you can see kind of what off-roading is like in a real military vehicle instead of just the, the derivative Jeeps that we drive around today. Now, that's one vehicle that, uh, as far as a Hummer goes, that I've never made, made fun of is the military Hummer, because to me, uh, that is uh, a hell of an off-road vehicle. What, what, what's your estimation of it? Well, you know, it's, it's really good, um, but it's just like any other off-road vehicle. It, it depends on the driver. Uh, in the hands of a really good driver, you can do some just phenomenal things with that Humvee. Uh, but in a, the hands of a new soldier that doesn't know what they're doing, doesn't know how to do left foot braking, how to actually engage the uh, the lockers that are in the vehicle, you know, it all comes down to the driver. So, well, it certainly is a very unique looking vehicle, uh, unlike the uh, the H2. Now, I kind of like the H3. It's it's kind of Cherokee looking, but um, yep. it's still got some issues with visibility. It's got a real high belt line. That's uh, that's how it is with a lot of the newer off-road vehicles, like the FJ Cruiser. That has the same issue. You know, it's just limited visibility. And the same thing with a Humvee, military Humvee. Man, unless you've got the doors off, you can't see anything out the back. Well, would part of that be just to protect the uh, the soldier inside, or is it just the way it's designed? Uh, I think it's just kind of the way it's designed. There's really no consideration of creature comfort or anything like that. Um, it was very utilitarian. And there's 20 or 30 different variants of the Humvee now. And the newer ones that are actually up-armored, yeah, the visibility is an issue because you're covered in armor. But even the, the older ones, you know, if you take the top off, the doors off, it's still pretty limited just because of the, the way it's designed. 
And how is it approaching uh, obstacles in the uh, the Humvee with the uh, 50 caliber on top? I would think that would make make it make you feel a little bit better because if if it really messes it up, you can always uh, take the gun, the main gun to it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can do a lot of damage with the 50 cal. <laughs> do you get to do the de- depleted uh, uranium rounds, or is it just your standard uh, big ass bullet? You know, mostly it's just the big lead round. You know, the uh, depleted uranium ones are kind of rare, the armor piercing, but... Uh, well, I guess you know, you, I guess in, in South Korea, you really don't want to be firing off guns that, <laughs> that much. Yeah, so. that's true. <laughs> and, you know, one of the funny thing is, a lot of people don't know, a lot of the training areas are very close to the DMZ. And, you know, I've been on some ranges where you can stand on top of a hill and see the, the markers for the military demarcation line. So you're that close, and some of the ranges you can't even fire live 50 cal rounds because of the range. It just takes one ricochet, and it's gone over the border, and you've created an international incident. Right. You know, so what they'll do, they have plastic 50 cal bullets. Okay. So the range is limited because it's a real light round, and it's very inaccurate, but I guess it still gets the, the feel of firing around. Yeah, I would imagine that's uh, quite a jolt uh, from the just the sound and uh, the the uh, bass type stuff hitting your chest. So I could, uh, it would be to me, it would be a little nerve wracking at least at first, just uh, being that close to that much danger because you don't, you never know when the when it's going to hit the fan. And uh, yeah, I kind of stopped thinking about it after you know. Well, you get used After to having it. having deployed it yeah, to I'm, actual you, combat areas where I know I'm being shot at. Yeah, I'm sure it's like anything. You just uh, you just accept the way it is, and you're okay now, and you'll probably be okay later. And if not, you'll just deal with it as the situation comes up. It, we all deal with things that uh, as best we can uh, in stressful situations. So yeah. And, and as I and as I told you and as I told you in the email, I did want to thank you very much for your service to the country. It's very important to me. I uh, I was a kid uh, during the Vietnam War, and I never agreed then or now how they were treated. And uh, I'm glad to see that um, uh, both political parties are are trying to treat our soldiers um, at least in at least verbally. They're trying to treat them right. I don't necessarily think that cutting uh, military funding and stuff is a good thing, but there you go. Yeah, uh, it is totally my pleasure. I really enjoy my job, you know, despite, you know, being sent out to the middle of the desert for however long. There's still a lot of fun to be had. Uh, Talking to my sister on Facebook, you know, you me a a Humvee with a full tank of gas and a little bit of time to explore. I'll have a ton of fun out here in the desert. Yep, on the, uh, and on the taxpayer's dime, too. Not like you're, uh, not like you're not earning it or anything. I want to indicate that. But uh, that's pretty cool. There's lots of lots of good training to be had. Yeah, there you go. So uh, tell us about your uh, Jeep Cherokee, because you're not just a, a Humvee driver. Uh, you're also a Cherokee owner, an operator. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm really fond of the Jeep Cherokee. I, I got my first one in 2000. It was a 1990, and drove it up to college from Colorado Springs up to Idaho and put a lot of miles on it. Uh, had it for a number of years and then finally graduated college and uh, drove it from Idaho, made a cross-country trip, and this was really kind of phenomenal. I went to Northern California, down through Southern California to Phoenix, to Houston, up to Colorado Springs, back down to Houston or Dallas, and then all the way across the United States through Alabama and then up to Baltimore, Maryland. 
I put about 6,000 miles on the Jeep in about two weeks' time, and it just kind of finally gave up. Uh, it, it flipped the head over it, or flipped the cylinder head over inside the cylinder and shot the piston rod out the side of the engine. And oh, crap, no. Dumped oil all over the place, and it was just, that was it. It gave up. So I was in the market for a new Jeep, and uh, just for fun, I was looking on eBay one night, and uh, I found the Jeep that I have now, and there was a guy about two hours south of where I was, uh, was selling it for less than he spent on the parts, uh, and he was a kind of a spoiled kid, and his dad just paid for all the parts to be installed at a professional shop, so when I bought my 1990 uh, Jeep Cherokee Sport, the two-door, it already had an 8-inch Skyjacker lift with 35-inch uh, BFG mud tires, had the chromoly axle shafts with 456 gears, aux lockers front and rear. Uh, I've got the ARB bull bar on the front, uh, Drango 4x4 bumper on the back side, and uh, I think that's all the mods that were done to it when I got it. But that's certainly not a short list. No, it's not. I mean, you you could have done uh, said two of those, and it would have been a big deal. Uh, yeah, my I, gosh, I that's that's, that's just got to be horrible. Uh, I mean, it's great great news for you, but that's just got to be horrible for the for the dad. And I can't help but think that that kid, uh, sometime in the future, is going to look back on that and go, "What the hell was I thinking?" Yeah, well, I think they did it a little bit together as a project. Just they didn't do any of the wrench time themselves, but you know, just shared in the build-up process, I guess, together. And then they wanted to start a new project, so they sold it off for, I bought it for 10000 and I, I totaled up all the parts, and they were just recently installed. It was still nearly brand new, and I got it. And it was, I think he spent twelve just on parts, not even counting the labor. So I picked it up for nothing, and it's been serving me well since 2004. Like, uh, on your on your ninety, uh, the the one that gave up on you. What size tires were you running on it? You know, I was running thirty. You see, the thirty ones or thirty twos. And it was a standard, uh, th- probably three fifty five gears on your uh, your differentials. Yep. Yep. Three fifty fives. I had a three inch uh, Rusty's lift kit that I actually. It's funny. I was on another. It was one of the Yahoo groups. Um. There was a guy down in Albuquerque, so I drove down from Colorado Springs. We met in the middle, and I bought his used lift. He had three-inch uh, leaf springs and three-inch coils, and I bought them for 80 bucks. used lift kit. Uh, went home, and it took me about a five, six hours to swap the springs and everything. And it ran great. You know, I, After a while, I started getting a little bit of uh, drive shaft vibration because I didn't uh, correct the pinion angle. Um, so that caused a little bit of problems, but I didn't get a full three inches of lift out of the rear springs because they are, you know, used and already starting to sag. But it was great, uh, kind of a starter. That was my first Jeep, my first lift and everything. Yep, That's kind of what got me into it more. Yeah, you can, you learn a lot uh, whenever you get out there and start doing those things. So uh, did you notice a big difference between uh, the 355s and the 456 gears? Oh yes. Yeah, I mean, yeah, even I, with thirty-five inch tires, you you have to notice it. Those thir- three fifty-five on on thirty-twos, especially going over just minimal overpasses on the highway, is uh, 
gets to be very interesting. And, yeah, you uh, got to sh- downshift right away. Yep. But, and, you know, even with 35s and 456 gears, I can run down the highway 70 miles an hour, and it's about 2,500 RPMs. Yeah, I, that's another reason why I was kind of thinking about doing the 35s was to get my RPMs back in, in line. Because if I do 80 with my 33-inch uh, tires, if I do 80 on the, with the 456 gears, I'm, I'm turning 3,000 RPM. Yeah. It's not real great for the gas mileage. No, no, it's not. But it's, um, it, it's very peppy. It, it's more like it was whenever I first got it. Now, uh, oh, yeah. here, here in the next uh, couple of days, I'll be changing out the, uh, the engine uh, with a, a 4.1 liter. It's not a stroker, just uh, 60 over. Somebody did the calculation for me on XJ Talk, and uh, it's uh, going to be about a 4.1 uh, liter uh, uh, Jeep engine. And uh, Matt and I are going to be uh, at his shop in Conroe this Friday swapping that out. So I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see what it's going to be like with a fresh engine. Cause the, uh, I, I probably had, um, Oh, 110,000 miles. Uh, whenever we've at the 456 gears in there. So, uh, okay. it'll be interesting with a little extra horsepower and a, a much fresher engine to see what it's going to be like. Yeah. You have to make sure you capture all the stats for before and then after. Yeah, well, it, it, I've got the gas mileage information. Uh, I've I've been collecting gas mileage information since before the 456 gears were uh, were installed, and and actually that was the main reason for doing it, uh, but for putting the gears in because I was told that that would make a, a big difference, and it, it jumped me. It it gave me about a two mile per hour um, mile per gallon <laughs> bump. So uh, of, good. yeah, of all the things that I've done to it, uh, to trying to fix some of the uh, uh, gas mileage issues, that was the biggest thing. But I'm still, uh, if I see 12 miles per gallon, that's rare. Oh, wow. Yeah. So uh, I don't know why it's that way. Uh, I don't think it should be based on the other things that I've, uh, I've heard. Have you ever done uh, good uh, uh, mile per gallon calculations on yours? Yeah, I keep pretty close track of that. Um, I usually get between 200 and 260 and 280 miles on a tank. I think it comes out to about 13 and a half, 14 miles per gallon. But yeah. I end up driving to and from work down state highways, usually doing about 55. So. Yeah, but I've got a, the five-speed manual, so I can get into a top gear pretty quick. Uh, that's just, yeah, that makes a big difference. Yeah, I love having that manual transmission. Yeah, I hear. Uh, whenever I went to get mine, I bought mine brand new, and uh, I was looking at it. It was the right color and all that, and I said, uh, "This is nice." Uh, it was on the showroom floor, and I said, "This is nice." But do you have one uh, that's a standard? Because in my mind, a uh, a four by four should be a standard, and and they the salesman looked at each other and go, well, they make uh, they do make them with uh, standard transmissions, but we'd have to order you one from the factory. Oh yeah, you know the standard thing they tell you whenever they don't want to get you something, they want to sell you what you what they have. Yep, they want you to take what's on the lot. Yeah, and another reason I was looking at uh, standard was uh, my wife and I were actually there to uh, make the decision on a uh, on a Wrangler, a ninety eight TJ. And, uh, we had, uh, two young children, uh, at the time, three and four years old. And I saw the, uh, 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 the red Cherokee there on the showroom floor. And I thought, 
you know, we could drive this. It's four doors. It's still a four-wheel drive, and uh, we could get the, uh, the the TJ later. So uh, we we finally did get that TJ later, much, much later, uh, <laughs> earlier this year. So uh, and my wife is driving that one. So we um, uh, we have the, the TJ, the 98 uh, uh, Cherokee, which, uh, which we had bought new then, and uh, – um, Shortly before, I guess maybe six months prior to getting the TJ, I, uh, I found the 99 XJ, and uh, my oldest daughter is driving that one now. So we are a, a three Jeep family. That's awesome. I'm sure the uh, the neighbors think we're crazy. <laughs> I know, and I'm a, a two SUV family. When uh, my second daughter was getting ready to be born, we realized at the time I'd bought a, a FJ Cruiser for my wife right the very first year with no seven when it was released um, because I was getting ready to deploy the vehicle we had was a Chevy or it was GMC uh, Yukon it was getting close to 100,000 miles and I didn't want my wife to have any issues uh, during the supposedly year while I was gone which turned in 15 months so I said, you know what we'll just go ahead and get you a new car got the FJ Cruiser and uh, then we had to get a second vehicle or a different vehicle because the FJ Cruiser doesn't really fit two car seats in the back. Really? So, That's interesting. I would thought I would have thought it would. Yeah, there's the way it's the back seat is arranged. The uh, the middle seat in the rear is kind of raised, and uh, it's not real conducive to car seats. And having a uh, rear facing car seat behind a seat was just not going to happen. It was impossible. Whoever that passenger would be, knees up in their chest through the dash, and so we had to make a decision. Okay, are we going to go for a minivan, or are we going to go for something else? <laughs> and she was starting to lean towards a minivan. I really wanted to get something bigger that could that could tow my jeep because we, the multiple moves with the army, you know. Oh yeah, my jeep. Yeah, that makes sense. It's not a real highway friendly vehicle. I mean, I can drive it on the highway, but a cross country trip is not going to be real fun. Right. So I uh, got her in a, a Chevy Suburban and a test drive. And she said, you know what? I really like this. This is really comfortable. I said, sweet. This V8 will pull the Jeep on a trailer. No problem. <laughs> she goes, yeah, so, that, that was my first concern. Like, yeah, sure. Whatever. I don't care about that. I can put a lot of stuff in the back. A lot of stuff. So, yeah, those Suburbans yeah. are great from that, especially with the family. Yep. So it's been great. Uh, I've got a Suburban for my wife and... It'll tow the Jeep across country, which it's done a couple times. And uh, way I, can, I always know I've got a, a, a vehicle to come rescue the Jeep that should it break down, which hasn't happened yet. There was one time we were getting ready to go to Korea and had to put it in storage. So my sister-in-law was going to take care of it. So we drove from like Richmond, Virginia to halfway between there and Nashville. And as I was backing the Jeep off the trailer the transmission just totally took a dump. I said, great, here I'm in the middle of nowhere with a Jeep with no transmission, and my sister-in-law was going to drive it back to Nashville and take care of it for the three years. So I ended up having to run the winch cable back up to the front of the trailer and self-recover itself, drive, you know, just on a you know, minute's decision to say, all right, we're just going to drive the rest of the way to Nashville, and I uh, kicked it off the trailer in front of full-wheel parts there in, uh, I think, Franklin, Tennessee. And they took care of everything. What did it turn out to be? 
Uh, the master cylinder. Oh, okay. So, so you just couldn't get it, uh, get it, it was un- where you could yeah, shift. Yeah, it was undrivable. Right. I, I got it into first gear while it was not on. Then I would, you know, leave the clutch out and just starter, use a starter and jockey it back up onto the trailer as much as I could. And I said, you know what? I've got the winch. I might as well just use it. Sure. There's been lots of adventures with that Jeep. <laughs> well, the neat thing is, is that you can, uh, you can usually work out a way to, uh, get down the road or, or like you said, recover itself. It's nice having that ability. And, uh, it's kind of funny. Uh, I was, uh, uh, on Facebook, XJ talk on Facebook, somebody, uh, one of the, uh, XJ talk members posted, uh, something from, uh, Morris four by four. It's a, uh, an image uh, a satellite image of a hurricane approaching Florida, which is is kind of what's in in process right now. Yeah, it's not the exact image that is currently going on, but it's similar to what's happening currently. And it said uh, uh, something along the lines of uh, uh, Prius owners are uh, wishing they had Jeeps right now. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's and, perfect for those post-apocalyptic <laughs> seasons, you know. Yeah, I, I mean it's great to have the gas mileage, and it's uh, it's great to be you know one of the cool kids with uh, the the low vehicles. But boy, I tell you what, whenever uh, the fan is getting ready to be hit, it's nice to have something that's going to uh, uh, be able to get you from point A to point B in, in most any situation. And uh, well, I mean that's that's the reason why we uh, why, well the reason why I built up the the ninety eight in the first place was because of hurricanes here uh, on the Gulf Coast. If if not everybody's familiar, I'm in, uh, located in the Houston area, so we uh, um, we prefer hurricanes here over earthquakes because we have warning, but still it can get pretty uh, pretty ugly uh, given the uh, uh, the severity of the hurricane. Yeah, well, right now I'm living in uh, northern New York, central New York. It's about an hour and a half north of Syracuse, and we get the uh, this last winter wasn't so bad, but I've only been living there for seven months. But when they do get snow, like the lake effect snow, it just comes out of nowhere and just slams everybody. And they get they measure they measure the snow in feet instead of inches. And the uh, few times this last winter when we did get slammed with snow, it was great. It was like a playground. Nobody driving around except for me. <laughs> I just go blasting through snow banks, having a blast. So uh, how was it with the lockers? Uh, well, since they're ox lockers, I can disengage them any time. So when I'm driving on ice, just open differentials and it's no issues. Um, but then when things get muddy and sloppy during the spring, I can uh, engage them and climb out of the soup and the, the ruts with no problems. So what do the New Yorkers think of the uh, the lifted, uh, oh, actually 8-inch lift is pretty substantial, and the 35-inch the uh, tires, what do they think about all that? Well, it's funny. You know, there's down in Syracuse, there's the uh, CNY Jeep uh, .org group, and I I went foiling with them a couple times. I go down to their club meetings when I get a chance. They're usually during the week, and I have a hard time getting down there for uh, getting off of work on time. Um, but they're a great Jeep group. There's a couple of them that are running Cherokees. Most of them are Wranglers. I fit right in with those guys. I guess they kind of give me a hard time, but then when I crawl through the obstacles with no trouble, the ones that they're having a really hard time with, the laughing stops. <laughs> of course. Yeah, then the, uh, uh, the name calling begins, at least under their breath. Yeah, but then <laughs> right in 
Watertown, the nearest town, they've got a truck club. It's not a Jeep-specific group. And I'm actually one of the smaller guys. They're mostly running full-size pickups. Most of them are diesels, and they've got big exhaust stacks coming out of the bed, running 38ths and larger tires. So the first trail run in the spring I did with them, I didn't know really what I was getting into. But they were going through water that was about three, three and a half feet deep. And uh, that was coming up to the door <laughs> on my on my Jeep. And I thought, well, I got my four-year-old daughter in the back, and she loves going off-roading. And I just go chugging through the deep mud and water, no problems, and watching them slide off because they've just got lots of lift without the traction aids they need and not the same kind of articulation. So these deep ruts, I've got tons of flex. I can grow all through it maintain traction and they're dragging their their beds and bumpers across everything getting hung up right oh, it was funny I, I watched the one truck in front of me he had his exhaust stack stick up past the top of his cab by about two feet three feet and he had to stop get out climb up on the roof with his chainsaw and cut down the tree branches just so he could get past oh wow yeah the the jeep is a, a, a very much a, a different type of vehicle than the uh, the full-size pickups you know we I see those uh, those land yachts uh, driving around here all the time, and I love a full size truck. the The first four wheel drive I had was an '83 Chevy. I had uh, I went with a four inch lift because I didn't like the uh, the the six inches uh, six inch lifts that were very common back then. It, it was a lot of uh, room between the top of the wheel and the uh, the fender. Yeah. So uh, I went with a four inch lift and 33 inch tires and uh, I'm sorry, 36 and a half inch tires. And, uh, it was a blast. I just, uh, I miss being up that high and driving around. It was, uh, it was great. You did have to watch out for small vehicles though. Cause, uh, <laughs> you might run over one. Yeah. That was the reason I didn't take my Jeep to Korea actually. I mean, I didn't take the Suburban because I knew I'd be just hard pressed to get through the narrow streets and everything. But, I didn't take the, the Jeep either because I'd run over a, a dude on a moped and not even know it. Yep. And it's it's it, it, it can be humorous when you say that, but it really literally can happen because you get high enough oh, up yeah. in the air, you can't see really what's going on on the other side. I remember driving my truck around. It was, uh, I would make a joke about, you know, I didn't see that car that was there. Uh, yeah, I had the large mirrors on the side of the, the Chevy truck. And even with that, it was difficult to, to see. Uh I managed to keep off of people, but uh, it, uh, it it really you really have to be it's it's a different world when you when you start getting up that high. Oh yeah, and you gotta consider how you're driving because I don't have sway bars on either the front or the rear, but it's got a stiff enough uh, spring rate that you know as long as you slow down in the corners enough, you really don't feel like you're gonna flip over. Either that or I've just become accustomed to it. I, I no longer have that same pucker factor that most normal human beings have. Yeah, it's a much different feeling. I have a tendency to drive mine like a race car with the uh, with the custom bumpers and now with the uh, the sliders and the um, uh, the frame stiffeners. I've got a lot of weight down low, and yeah. I can make uh, make turns pretty uh, pretty good. I'm a I'm a low, fast kind of guy, and that's the reason why I got into SUVs, trucks, and SUVs to start with. It's just so <laughs> I would have an excuse to not drive fast. It, uh, it's a lot of fun, but so yeah. uh, uh, whenever I, if I forget to connect the uh, the quick disconnects back up, and I start making those turns, I notice it. Uh, it's not earth shattering. It's not like a, like a death wobble or anything. 
it, it's just like, hey, that feels kind of strange. I went, oh, I forgot to hook up the disc, <laughs> the sway yeah, bar. A That's what too it was. Much lean. <laughs> yeah, what's going? On? I got a flat. What's going on? You know. So yeah. yeah, I understand. I've heard that on the on the site where people they just don't run the sway bar at all. And of course, mine only came with a front sway bar. So uh, it's a uh, it's quite a quite capable road vehicle with uh, with just the the front sway bar. Yeah, I don't know what the rear sway bar does anyways. It's so skinny, the, the stock one. It just serves virtually no purpose, you know. Uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, recently uh, put a lift on the uh, the wife's TJ, and it's got, a, uh, uh, it's got one on there. So I don't know if it's a good thing to have it or not, but, you know, whatever. Uh, yeah. I'll, I'll just leave it alone, and then uh, as I learn about the uh, the Wranglers, I may do more to it. Well, Dan, we've go. come to the the magical thirty minute uh, mark, and I've been doing my uh, level best to uh, to get into the uh, the thirty minute uh, limitation. So okay. <laughs> we can <laughs> we can wrap this up, and you can stop uh, tearing up all the minutes on your uh, on your cell phone. Uh, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, uh, I guess it just really depends on the plan. So uh, when when you when are you going to have an, another four by four podcast uh, episode? Well, it's a very good question. Uh, I guess it would depend on how the recording with this current setup that I have it seems to come out okay. You know, I've got a couple interviews lined up. I uh, just got to be able to get them on. Lately, I've been having a lot of Overland uh, off-roaders on the, on the podcast. And uh, you know, I've got one lined up, uh, Lewis and Lacey from uh, Lost World Expeditions. They've just got the travel bug, and they've been traveling around through South America, Chile and Peru, and uh, they've just come back for a little sabbatical and refill the bank accounts. So I'd be doing an interview with them pretty soon. Um, Overland Gourmet, uh, Zach from uh, Phoenix, he's uh, an Overland traveler that does gourmet cooking. Actually, OverlandGourmet.com, he's got a whole store selling cooking gear Lots of great things going on. Uh, hopefully, if I can work things out right with my boss, I'll be able to escape the Mojave for a little bit for the uh, Southern California Mountain Rendezvous. Uh, got lots of things going on, but my, my military professional duties kind of limit things. So, worst case, it'll be probably the end of October <laughs> by gotcha. the time I get another episode out. Gotcha. Well... Uh, as long as you keep them coming, uh, because uh, I've started listening, and you know I don't want to sit around and, and wait for, you know, the summer reruns and then wait for the fall yeah. schedule and all that stuff that they do. <laughs> so. Yeah, I think we've got at least twenty episodes out of the four by four podcast, so you can you might as well skip the first one. That one was pretty bad. Oh, they um, always are. They always are. <laughs> but they're, but they're never as bad as you think. Yeah, it was good. It got things started, and actually, on one of the early podcasts. I did an interview with uh, Jim Taylor. He is uh, the trail boss at the Brazos Valley Off-Road Ranch outside Bryan, Texas. So I know that's a little bit of a drive from you know Houston, your area. But if you ever get a chance to go up there, I'd definitely give Jim Taylor a call. Uh, awesome trails down there. Yeah, real, real quick question. How's your wife with uh, doing the off-road thing? You know, she is a... She loves adventure traveling. Um, when we've... Just before we started dating, I think it may have been when I asked her out, I said, you know what you're getting into, right? Because anytime you hang out with me, 
you're bound to be involved in some sort of adventure, whether it be planned or unplanned. <laughs> you say, no, I think I can handle it. I say, well, you say that now. But uh, we just had our 10-year anniversary this last weekend, and it's been a wild adventure the whole time. Oh, that's she right. Loves it. That's right. I take that back because I did listen to an interview where you were talking about teaching your wife how to drive off-road. And so she does go off road. The reason why I ask that is, is my wife doesn't want to have any part of going oh. off road. I went up a, a steep embankment uh, once before the the jeep was lifted and everything, and my wife almost bailed out. I, I think she got. I think she said eject twice before I got it leveled out. You know, the third eject, then the 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 uh, the top would have got off and she would have been gone. <laughs> so. Yeah. You know, one of the very early times in a uh, relationship with my wife, we uh, went off-roading by ourselves in February <laughs> in southwest Idaho, which, you know, this is like the strikes are piling up against us. Yeah. And eventually, we got high-centered, and it was probably well below freezing. The frame was literally frozen to the ground, and there was no hope of getting that vehicle recovered. Uh, fortunately, I always have my my bug out bag, so I had my sleeping bag, and some food, and blankets, and all the emergency stuff in the back end of the jeep. So it was ready. So we had a relatively uh, comfortable night, despite the freezing temperatures and blowing wind, and the jeep that was not quite level. Uh, but ever since then, it's just been one adventure after another. So just just for clarification, in down in Houston, where we don't have weather like that. Uh, and we and we go out with a girl. We run out of gas, but, <laughs> but I guess in, in Idaho, what you do is you high center the vehicle and sleep overnight. That's right. You wait for uh, <laughs> daytime to come around and reassess the situation. <laughs> we were thoroughly stuck. There was no doubt about that. Oh yeah, I have no doubt uh, a skilled driver can stick a vehicle. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. When I get stuck, it is really, really stuck. Well, great, Dan. Uh, <laughs> that's funny. Uh, we're going to have to get you on uh, again because uh, I can tell there's some uh, there's some more stories that you can tell. Is there anything you want to uh, tell our listeners before we wrap it up? Well, no, I just encourage everybody to go uh, check out the 4x4podcast.com and check out all the episodes. You can find it in iTunes. Uh, we're on Facebook. Uh, I think it's facebook.com slash the 4x4podcast. Nice and easy. Uh, I think we're on Twitter and uh, let's see. Also, Google Plus. You know, there's not a whole lot of interaction there, just because it's, it's kind of a, it's Google Plus. <laughs> Google Plus is still kind of a, a morphing and developing creature. It's because there wasn't enough Facebook. You know, <laughs> they yeah. had to come up with something else. I, I was, really like Google Plus, but it's still just kind of a, a developing community. Yeah, it really is. But lately, we've been doing the uh, the off-roading question of the day and the off-roading answer of the day, kind of summarize everybody's answers. Lots of good things. Talk about, you know, manual versus automatic, transmission. Uh, let's see. We also talked about, do you change your own oil? Kind of modification would you make today if you could? Lots of different things. You know, it's a new question every day and a lot of interaction on Twitter and especially Facebook. So lots of things to check out, you know. We don't have a forum for the 4x4 podcast or anything. It's just just a hobby for me, not a business. Uh, it'd be great if hobby could pay for itself, but you know that's not why I do it. I just enjoy talking about off-roading with folks. Yeah, that's great. 
Well, Dan, thanks a lot. And, uh, again, thanks for being a guest on the, on the show. It, uh, It'll help me fill another week before I have to scramble around and find uh, another guest. <laughs> but you well, know, but you know how that have, is. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. You got all these people that you'd love to talk to, but just lining up schedules sometimes is pretty difficult. You know, if work just didn't get in the way. Yeah, always interrupting real life. <laughs> well, thanks again, Dan. All right, we'll talk to you later. We welcome and look forward to your questions and comments. Dial 530-675-4102, 530-675-4102, and leave your message on our 24 by 7 voicemail. Well, that's our show, and I uh, want to thank Dan again, not only for being on our show and doing the interview, but also being a, a member of our armed services and protecting this country, and, uh, you know, if nothing else, just being in the desert and sweating his ass off, because I know it gets hot here. Uh, fortunately, this uh, this past Friday, when uh, MS Moorberg and I uh, were installing uh, the uh, 4.0 liter, uh, or taking the 4.0 liter out, putting in the 4.1 liter, I uh, had a little bit of rain that morning, so it wasn't too terribly hot. It, it got that way towards the afternoon. And I'm not kidding you, man. Uh, I stood there and asked questions and uh, told jokes and held a flashlight. In 10 hours... Matt took that 4.0 out, put the 4.1 in, and got it started and running. We just have a, a slight little issue with it where it's not, not performing like we expect it to. So trying to get that lined out. You know how, you know how engine swaps are. Who knows what it is. Uh, but uh, hopefully by next week we'll have uh, some better, better news on that, maybe even sooner. So uh, just want to take a moment to remind you that we're on Facebook. So you can uh, friend us uh, at uh, facebook.com slash xjtalk. We're on the Twitter, uh, twitter.com slash xjtalk. And uh, if uh, you don't want to type that in, you can just go to xjtalk.com. The, the reason why the podcast is here, the forum about Jeeps and Cherokees and, gosh, technical stuff and fun and jokes and, uh, well, I won't tell you about anything else. So uh, you can go there and at the very top, There's little icons that you can click on, including uh, getting to this podcast. Of course, this podcast is available on iTunes and uh, various other outlets, but uh, you can just go to podcasts.xjtalk.com and uh, you can listen directly from the site or you can download it onto your smartphone. So anyway, till next week, we uh, hope you have a a very good week and uh, thank you again for uh, listening to the show. Say XJ Talk is the best fucking site in the fucking world. And if you think you know of a better fucking site, fuck you. By the way, this is Big Jim 350. Bye. Mm, yeah, I guess green jeeps are okay.